podcast number 302 for Wednesday, May 23rd, 2012. Welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm senior editor Dan Morin, and I'm joined by a roundtable of uh, Macintosh, I don't know what the best word is, cognoscenti. That's a good word, right? No. Uh, <laughs> uh, among them, uh, staff writer Lex Friedman. How are you doing, Lex? I am great. Thank you for having me, Dan. Also joining us is Rogue Amoeba CEO Paul Cafasis. How are you doing, Paul? I'm pretty good. How about you, Dan? I'm doing pretty well as well. Um, and we have a dual Paul attendance today as we have uh, Paul Haddad from TapBots. How are you doing, Paul? Hey, Dan. I'm uh, doing pretty well. Thanks for asking. Thanks for joining us. So we want to talk a little bit about uh, WWDC, which is coming up pretty fast in just a couple of weeks now. Um, and so I sort of wanted to start off by talking about uh, a little bit about what we already know that we'll probably see more about it at WWDC, which is Mountain Lion. Now, Apple announced it uh, a couple months ago, gave out a developer preview release, and they've uh, let us get a sneak peek at some of the features behind the curtain there. Um, have you guys used Mountain Lion at all and, and just had any thoughts or based on even what Apple has showed us, any ideas on the, what you really like about it or uh, what you're hoping that they might also have up their sleeve there? Uh, Lex, you want to start us off? Sure. I mean, I've, I've certainly spent some time with Mountain Lion. Uh, I would never be so crazy as to install it as the main operating system on my primary Mac. But uh, that is exactly what I did. But no, I, the truth is, you know, when, whenever you try out a, a new operating system that Apple's released that's not ready for prime time yet, so it's, you know, you're looking at a developer preview, um, you know that it's going to be a work in progress and that there are going to be issues. I will say that as the developer previews have progressed, I've been increasingly impressed with how well things work generally. You know, it's, a, I think, a fairly significant update, um, much like Snow Leopard was to Leopard. Um, but things have, you know, early on in some of the early betas before the team had, you know, turned all the switches from be really lousy to be really good, uh, it was painful to use Mountain Lion. But now the, the pain is gone and the, the benefits, I think, are numerous. I think the you know, as a Mac user, the, the piece on most concerned about is putting it strongly but intrigued by and, and interested to see where it's going to go is this uh gatekeeper situation and the the sandboxing requirement that uh, all the apps are going to need to hit in the mac app store uh by next month because uh, already you know i have warning dialogue blindness right now on mountain line if you double click an app that you download from the internet just like you, you see on uh lion you're going to see a warning say hey you downloaded from the internet are you sure you want to run it and then it, depending on where apps come from you'll see different versions of that warning you'll see a warning if an app wants to access your address book and it's clear that the os is very very focused on uh the the os is very very focused on wanting to make sure that you're safe and protected but it's doing so right now in a way that i feel like is uh as annoying as it can sometimes be every time, you know, if you think back to the iOS 4 days when every time you used an app that wanted to access your location, it had to get your permission again. Now, apps can be slightly less obnoxious about that because they can sort of remember that setting. But right now, it sometimes feels like uh, not the mountain lion is babying you, but that, um, I mean, it's very, very protective to the point where you stop paying as much attention. So maybe you're losing the benefit of that protection. So I'm curious how Apple can sort of improve that piece of things. Well, I'm glad you brought up a uh, gatekeeper. Paul Cavazas, you've you've spoken out a couple times on some of the other uh, security pre precautions and other restrictions that Apple's put in place, especially when it comes to the, the Mac App Store. Would you have any, what do you feel about gatekeeper? Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I, I think it's something where we're sort of, 
washing and waiting to see exactly what Apple does with it. Um, when it was first when it was first announced, first introduced, it seemed like a, a relatively good thing, in that the App Store is not the only way to distribute apps on the Mac right now, and with Developer ID and Gatekeeper, uh, Developer ID is the uh, technical backend for Gatekeeper that basically lets Apple say, okay, this app is something that uh, is from a developer that we trust, and therefore you should be able to trust it. With that, it's something where we can sort of say, okay, our app doesn't belong in the App Store or doesn't you know, fit Apple's criteria for what's in the App Store, but it's still something where you can trust it, where you can, where you can feel that you're safe. Um, but it's something where I'm certainly still fairly concerned about everything that relates to it because if you look at the Gatekeeper settings in Mountain Lion, there's three options. There's run any application. That's effectively what we have right now. You can run anything that you find, anything that you download, you can run it on your Mac. The middle option is run Mac App Store apps and Gatekeeper apps, uh, basically apps that Apple has in some way said you should be able to trust this. And then there's the run only Mac App Store apps option. And that option is certainly more than a little frightening for our company and for a whole lot of others out there because it's something where if you turn that on as the default, if you, uh, sorry, if Apple turns that on as the default, there will be a whole lot of difficulty that people will have in order to get apps running from someone who's not in the App Store. And so we're certainly, uh, it's certainly something where there's concern about the amount of control we're putting in Apple's hands. I'm hopeful that what this means is they don't expect that everything needs to wind up in the App Store and that there will be a place for apps outside the App Store. But like I said, I'm concerned about the level of control that they're going to have going forward. Well, certainly it adds another layer, you know, in the same way that Android uh, has that same sort of thing on the, a lot, as a default for a lot of its uh I mean, I guess it varies depending on what handsets you're using, et cetera. But you can go in and sort of say, let me install applications from other sources. But if you're, you're the average user probably doesn't go in and do that because it's scary and it's hidden away and all of that. So I can see that being an issue. Paul Haddad, you come from this from sort of an, an iOS side angle. Um, do you have any feelings on this as compared to how the iOS uh, sort of app space has developed? Well, I'm not terribly concerned about gatekeeper as long as there still is that option to just run apps from anywhere um i'm not sure if having it as you know having the app store only as a default is a good or a bad idea um you know we've certainly seen that the number of mac virus warnings have increased a little bit over the last uh, year or two um so i, I could see that possibly being a, a good thing to do sometime in the future if uh, things increase, you know, increase to, or continue to get uh, worse. But, you know, I, I guess personally I'd probably, uh, I'm probably always going to, you know, keep it running on the uh, least uh, annoying setting. But, um you know, I, I could see it actually being a good thing for, you know, a lot of users who, you know, don't really know what they're doing on their computers. But uh, the the one thing that would concern me is if they decided at some point in the future that, hey, it doesn't make sense to even have those settings and let's just uh, limit stuff to App Store only or uh, signed only. And uh, I'm hopeful that will never happen, but it's definitely something to keep an eye out for. 
Sure. Yeah. It seems like this is just another another example of, especially in Lion and Mountain Lion, we've seen a lot of features and not just features, but philosophies moving from iOS back to the Mac. So this is very similar in terms of, you know, obviously on the iPhone, the iPad, you know, Apple has ultimate say on what you install unless you're going to go off and jailbreak. Um, but there are a whole bunch of things in uh, in Mountain Lion that it looks like are sort of making their way back from from iOS, and that's gotten a lot of people concerned about whether these these two things are merging or whether there's you know we're ending going to end up with some sort of hybrid iOS macOS or whether macOS is going to turn into much more of an iOS style thing. Uh, do you guys find that something that's concerning optimistic i mean there's obviously some great things about both of them but is it is it a good idea um so it's not a good idea (laughs) i am not uh worried about it because i think that apple is smarter than people who ruminate about these things in general and would not take the misstep of merging the two i think that you know macs today remain an important part of apple's business and over time they'll become a less you know continue to become a less significant portion of apple's business but they're not going to needlessly merge the two os's uh since it wouldn't benefit anything now what i am optimistic about is i I sort of was looking at this uh, in uh, the opposite way of of paul k uh where I have this this small and probably naive hope that maybe Apple will uh, move things in both directions. So they'll look to uh, the ability to say, you know, now we have this new gatekeeper setting on Mountain Lion where we can say, you know, limit me to Mac App Store apps. Uh, but there are other options for users who choose to enable them. I'd like to see that move to iOS too, right? So only by the default option on iOS is now when it would clearly be only allow apps installed from the App Store ones that Apple has reviewed and have gone through that process and that don't have bad words in them. Uh, and, you know, I could just, I would love, and it would, I think many folks uh, in this community would love if that option went to iOS as well, where you could get a second little toggle that said, don't limit me to just apps from the app store and let me install from anywhere. But the, uh, yeah, obviously that's an interesting idea. Do you think it, is it plausible? I mean, Apple's shown such a high degree of control on iOS. It seems unlikely that they would, they would make a move in that direction. Yeah, they said the same thing about dividends. <laughs> <laughs> Little inside baseball there, but uh, okay. From uh, Paul K, um, how do you feel about this sort of iOSification? Do you think it's a a problem, a good thing, a threat, uh, an well, opportunity, a threat opportunity? <laughs> uh, no, I I think uh, I think I'd probably agree with what Lex said that it doesn't really. Well, on the face of it, it makes sense to say, yeah, sure, why not make one OS out of both of them and, and run it on both systems? I don't think that's really what Apple's headed for. I think they're in their minds, they're taking some of the best ideas from from each one and, and bringing them across to the other. Uh, I think in some regards that's been uh, a negative thing. I think if you look at Lion, and to me one of the biggest issues is the lack of scroll bars on Lion, uh, where... They said, okay, on iOS, we don't have scroll bars, but everyone knows you can scroll because you just flick at the screen and, and content moves. And in our apps online, we have, uh, we have an audio editor that requires scrolling, and there's no scroll bar with some of the settings. And people emailed us and said, why did you break this? Where's the scroll bar? And we said, well, we didn't break it. Your system's broken. There's no scroll bars anywhere. And they said, oh, huh, you're right. And it's something where I think perhaps some of the ideas are, are not... Uh, not the greatest ideas for a desktop platform, but I think it's something where Apple is experimenting and, and like I said, taking what they think are some of the better ideas from each platform and, and merging them across. But I don't think that means they're going to try and merge the two OSs entirely. I don't think it's, 
I, I guess I shouldn't say never, but I don't think it's a very good fit uh, now or, or in the near or even in midterm future. Uh, it doesn't really make sense to try and combine the two when they really do serve two distinct purposes. Well, what kind of things, I'm curious if any of you have things that you're looking forward to based on what you've seen in Mountain Lion and thinking, oh, wow, that's really, that's a welcome change. I've been looking forward to something like that. Well, I'll jump in here. Um, I, I do like the uh, the idea that they're bringing over the uh, accounts framework from um, iOS, so you'll be able to quickly and easily log into Twitter via whatever application without having to go in and type in your password or deal with the a web page to to do that, and I kind of also like um, also like the uh, the notification center and those features that they're they're kind of bringing in. Um, I don't particularly care for the fact that it's uh, App Store only, but absolutely, you know, I, I think that's kind of where Apple is is going in the future. They're going to kind of try to push the App Store as much as possible by making certain features uh, exclusive to the App Store. So uh, wait, I, I want to make sure I understand that you're saying that Notification Center is limited to apps that are in the App Store. That's my understanding of it. Because I thought that I've seen, and I, honestly, I don't know how it works, uh, literally, <laughs> uh, but I thought that I've seen on Mountain Lion that certain websites are able to trigger alerts in Notification Center. Like when I logged into Twitter and when I logged into Gmail and Safari, they both said these apps want these web apps want to send you alerts in Notification Center. Do you want to allow that? I don't know if that's specific to those sites that Apple set it up with them or what, but I, I do get, when I get Twitter mentions now, they show up as notification center alerts. Well, I would think that's part of the, the whole Twitter integration with the uh, accounts framework and, and all that. And, that could be. And I, also I, it's Safari, which in and of itself right. is part of the system, so maybe they're sort of just linking into something in Safari. But. Well, let me let me shift gears slightly here and say, you know, we've obviously we talked about Mountain Line a bit, which is the one of the things that we can probably expect to see some news on during WWDC. Are there other things coming or other should I say are there things that we haven't heard about that you're kind of hoping to see at WWDC? <laughs> I'm well, going to pivot to the developers. <laughs> I I I fear change. <laughs> Uh, so so i i prefer so to, i was to really... five we're just done let's 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 set it in stone it's well I, I fear change less on the ios platform because it's it's a lot younger and and certainly has more room to to mature and and to grow in different ways but on the mac side i think uh things have matured quite a bit over 10 years now and are in pretty good shape so when apple makes large-scale changes it has uh has a pretty big impact on on developers and so the the less they change overall the better in in my mind certainly as a developer and as a user i don't know that there's anything you know i, I can't think of anything on on the on the mac platform that i feel is missing whereas on the ios platform i can think of you know certainly a few things at least and and over the past few years they've added a lot of things but that's a platform where you know it, it obviously wasn't as mature and to me, the Mac platform is is a whole lot more mature, and and hopefully, I don't see too much in terms of major uh, shakeups. But in terms of something like iOS, you say you've got you know a list of things that are that you've felt are missing. What, what is among the list? What do you think is still left for them to address, given what they've addressed so far? Well, I, th I think it's been talked about elsewhere, but but mapping and and maps, the Maps app in general, is probably the place where iOS lags behind Android the worst. And so that's that's been rumored to be 
massively massively overhauled in iOS 6, and we'll see if that's the case. But uh, that's definitely one of the bigger ones. Uh, I, I, I don't know that I can think of anything else off the top of my head, but that's that's one of the biggest ones. Anybody else want to jump in with any other iOS features they feel like they, they're really been looking for or waiting for from Apple? Yeah, I'll uh, give you a couple. Um, the, the one I always wait to see is um, extra backgrounding modes so mm-hmm. that apps like Sparrow could check for an email while without using any kind of hacks to, to do so or any server side component to do it. Um, I'd also love to see some better... Um, way to have apps work together because right now all you can do is basically launch a URL to talk from to communicate from one app to another and it, you know it works but you know other platforms I think uh, the Windows 7 or Windows Metro whatever it's called these days um, do that a little bit better and it'd be neat to be able to you know have little applets or parts of the app that can be shared with other applications. I think, you know, that's one area where iOS really isn't doing much. Right, because right now it's very simplified in terms of, you know, if you get a, a, a attachment in your email, for example, that's, you know, a Word doc or a PDF, you can open it in another app, but then you're pretty much always, and from there you might be able to open it in a separate app, but from there you then you have all these different copies, right, of the same document. And so if you if it is a document that you're actually editing, say you open a you know a text attachment in your text editor and you edit it in there, you know you can't then go open it in another one. You know you sort of have to chain it around whatever and make multiple copies of everything, which does seem a little you know a little backwards based on what the kind of capabilities we've had on the Mac for so long. Well, I think I think Paul H makes a great point in that the back end, the things that developers deal with, is still very immature on the iOS platform. Uh, Apple's made good strides there and and continues to, but I think I think he's absolutely right. There's a there's a whole lot of things that maybe users don't necessarily realize are missing, like the ability to share files, pass files back and forth between apps, or like the ability to run in the background in ways that Apple's apps like Mail can do, but uh, Sparrow, a a third-party Mail client, can't do. So I think there's a whole lot of stuff that's maybe a little more technical that uh, people don't realize is missing, but they perhaps realize the functionality is missing. And I think that's something absolutely where, where hopefully there will be improvements. And I think that it's it's not just that people realize some of these features are, are missing, but they thought that iOS 4 even was going to take care of them. You know, and I think when users heard about background processing and multitasking coming to the iPhone, they thought that meant that every app would work the way it kind of does on the Mac today. So if I, you know, if you have a Twitter client, uh, you should be able to switch back to it, and all the tweets that had sh- you know been sent in the meantime should be there already. Whereas now, in fact, what has to happen is they got to load it now. So I think it's right now. I think that Apple is comfortable, or at least with iOS five and four, Apple has said that it's comfortable with uh, giving users an experience that's different from what they can get on a computer in terms of you know how apps can load content when they're not in the foreground. And um, I'm honestly surprised that it's stuck around in this way for this long. Well, yeah. you have the battery issue, right? I mean, if you have, you know, five, six different amps running in the background, and maybe some of them aren't, uh, you know, written properly to, to deal with going to sleep and, and whatnot, you know, battery life's already bad enough on the uh, iPhone 4S. I can imagine it'd be a lot worse if we start letting, you know, apps just run without a, a very strict set of 
you know, guidelines for what you can or can't do. And probably with the uh, OS watching it and making sure that, you know, apps do the right thing. Right. Now, that's certainly true. You raise a question that I think is tangential to our point here, but I want to ask you guys all this. I have this question for everyone, and I think about it pretty much daily. I leave my iPhone in a battery case now most of the time, in part because I'm testing on it all day, so I'm wearing the battery down, I think, more than most iPhone users. But I agree with what Paul just said, uh, that you know the, the battery life on the 4S is kind of subpar. And I would eagerly and gladly trade in my current iPhone 4S for one that was even double the thickness if it meant that I would get double the battery life. So my question to all of you is, do you agree with Apple's decision to forego battery life in favor of sveltness in the iPhone? Or would you be comfortable with a thicker iPhone? No, not obscenely thick, but one that you know was thick like a, a, an iPhone battery case might make an iPhone thick if it meant that you got out of the box uh, double the battery life you get today. Well, but you've, you've got I mean, right now you've got that option, right? You're saying you run it in a battery case and uh, so you've effectively created the phone you're talking about and it cost you 60 bucks more or whatever the battery case cost. Right. Yeah, but the I mean, even my favorite battery cases make it look ugly. I think that Apple could make it look not so ugly. All right. Uh, I, I, I don't I, get access to my dock connector port this way. I I I don't have terrible issues with my battery. I certainly you know if they could make a battery that lasted longer, that'd be good. But uh, I I think I'm okay with the the current trade off in terms of size and battery life. I take a crank on the back. I think that would be my, my preferred <laughs> way to the, do it. Wasn't that the rumor for like the original iBook? Yeah, that, uh, yeah, that you'd be, be able crank powered. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, that's. I, yeah, that's totally I could do that out. on the phone. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, speaking of uh, you know the original iBook, not not directly, but in terms of hardware, um, and this is just more of a little more of pie in the sky. But as as Apple watchers and constant you know writing about all things Apple, I think Lex and I had a conversation uh, a couple times in the last couple months that it's been a surprisingly sparse uh, year so far in terms of hardware, especially on the Mac side. We really haven't seen a new Mac since uh, last fall, pretty much. So, and a lot of people, and especially uh, in the developer crowd, I think are are wondering about something like the Mac Pro, for example, which is lain dormant for a really long time. Um, and so I guess my question is, is this a, in the past, Apple has released pro level hardware at WWDC uh, a long time ago, as I recall. Um, but is there still a spot for that for the for the Mac Pro? Is it still is it still needed? Uh, well, I have a, a, a 2010 Mac Pro, which uh, unfortunately is the latest model, right? And it's two years old now. Um, and I love it. But you know, to be honest, I don't use, you know, use all 12 cores 24 <laughs> seven have it because I, I just wanted it. Uh, but it's more than fast enough for me as a developer. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I would hate to see the Mac pro go away because, you know, I always have a Mac pro somewhere, a Mac pro in a the 17-inch laptop or my uh, standard development environments. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I think there's still a place for it, but they obviously don't sell anywhere near as many as they do the MacBook Airs and uh, pretty much every other Mac Apple makes. So, uh, I don't I know. It's... I mean... I, I think okay. on the first day, I think during the keynote is when the press is actually there. That's the event yeah, that's open that's to right. the press, and the rest, the rest of it is not. And 
you know, five, ten years ago, that was not that big a deal. Uh, but now it's the world is tuning in. I mean, this is one of the biggest companies in the world. And even though this is ostensibly the developers conference, that first day has always been about the public. It's never been about the 5,000 developers that are there, or uh, certainly not recently, rather. Uh, so I think it's something where if you introduce a new Mac Pro there, I don't know that that really is a good use of the time. But I think it's something where, like Paul, I agree that, all right, you know, I hope that that hardware continues to exist, even if it's not terribly popular uh, with the mass audience. I think it's something that developers use quite frequently. So in terms of seeing it at WWDC, I'm, I doubt we'll see it in the keynote. And if they do have an update, it may come out, you know, as, as part of the press as, from a, the as, as a press release. Yeah, they've, they've exactly. sometimes buried those. I think they've those. done that, haven't they? Yeah, they've done that with some uh, smaller updates often to things like the Mac Mini. Right. So I, I think certainly that's that's feasible, uh, but they could do that pretty much any time because they're not worried about getting the press for it. So I think in terms of what you'll see from the keynote, I wouldn't necessarily expect to see new pro hardware, maybe new laptops because even the higher-end laptops are fairly popular with a, a much larger level, audience. Right? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's trick with WWDC is that, you know, as Paul's saying, it is this sort of weird divisive atmosphere where there's a lot of focus on the developers most of the week, but that we have that keynote up front that's public and really focused on much more on a consumer-oriented or, uh, uh, bearing. But, you know, so we talked about iOS a bit and we talked about uh, Mountain Align a bit. Um, I don't think, you know, I think we could probably all agree that we're probably not going to see a new iPad or iPhone because those things are both uh, on a fairly regular schedule. Um, and I think to me, the interesting sort of wild card then becomes uh, what is in some ways becoming Apple's third platform, and that's iCloud, uh, which was obviously announced at last year's WWDC and was sort of given equal footing to a certain extent with Mountain Lion and iOS or with Lion and, and iOS 5. Um, and so I'm curious to know, you know, have you guys had <laughs> iCloud's been sort of a mixed bag as far as my perception so far, but I'm curious, especially from a developer perspective of um, what really needs to be done or what would you want to see in an, in an iCloud upgrade? Well, uh, from my standpoint, iCloud is just great uh, when it works. The, the problem is it sometimes just doesn't work. And um, that's really frustrating from, again, the developer perspective because uh, it's impossible to troubleshoot. It, you know, it should work. The API uh, is really simple, but sometimes it just doesn't. And there's really nothing that we can do about it other than, you know, try again later. And sometimes that actually works. Um, <laughs> so I would love to see just a focus on getting the current APIs just, you know, tip-top condition so they're uh, as bug-free as they can be and so that we can depend on iCloud working the way it should work. Yeah, that's the, the Apple famous Apple slogan. It just works sometimes. Right. right. I, well, I think I think Paul mentioned something earlier about uh, Notification Center only being use, uh, usable by App Store apps, and iCloud is actually the same way. So if you've got an app that is it both in the Mac App Store and sold outside of it, uh, iCloud, you won't be able to use for both those versions. You can use it just for the App Store, or you can not use it at all. And that's something where I don't think that's good for Apple. I don't think it's good for the platform. I certainly don't think it's good for developers. Uh, I think that's something where marketing potentially is is sort of steering things 
and steering them in the wrong way. I think that's uh, something that's not necessary in terms of adoption of the platform. I think people are using iCloud, uh, and you don't necessarily need to force developers into the App Store to get iCloud working or uh, use iCloud to force developers into the App Store. So I'm, I'm hopeful that that's something that potentially could change in the future. It's certainly something that we've had discussions with people at Apple about, and, and there's certainly plenty of support internally for not requiring uh, developers to be in the App Store to use iCloud. Because right now, as a developer, that's preventing us from using iCloud uh, and is more likely to send us to a solution like Dropbox, where it's not necessarily quite as smooth of a, of a solution where a user has to have an account that they don't necessarily have for a service for Dropbox, but it at least would enable us to use the feature of syncing you know, through the cloud in both an App Store version of an app and, a, and an independent version of the app. So iCloud is interesting in terms of you know, just the uptake that it's had, the tens of millions of people that are using it, but at the same time, it's deeply flawed in that you're required to be in the App Store to be able to really use it. It's in some ways that's a fascinating flip side compared to its predecessor, Mobile Me, which obviously, as far as I know, you know, because there wasn't really an app store, you know, at least on the Mac side when Mobile Me was in its heyday, if it ever had one. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it was fascinating, right? Because you could build the support in for Mobile Me, but then you were dependent on having the like the user having a Mobile Me account, right, and having paid for that. And so now Apple's flipped it around and said, well, now it's free to all the users, but, you know, the developers have to sort of follow these specific rules. So they end up with the same sort of problem in terms of adoption. It's just coming at it from a different angle instead. Well, and I think it's been much more successful, obviously. I mean, mobile me well, because free, of the... Free things are generally <laughs> more <laughs> successful. Exactly. Well, but but that has the effect of pushing developers to want to use it and want to adopt it. But... Uh, like I said, the the requirement that you be in the App Store for it is is certainly holding back some level of developer participation in it. Sure, Lex on the on the user side, you know, looking at iCloud, what do you think's missing still? You know, it's, it's it goes back to a point that Paul H was making before too. I think where to me the it's hard for iCloud to offer me more than Dropbox does right now. If an app offers only if an iPad offers both Dropbox and iCloud Sync, I tend to go with Dropbox because it means that depending on what kind of data I'm syncing, I'll be able to get it for more apps uh, until or unless Apple tweaks iCloud so that I can put data in and get it from whichever apps can understand that data type. It doesn't make sense to me to limit my syncing to only iCloud. That's that's the frustrating part to me. If you know If I'm syncing you know, uh, images or text documents and they're syncing via iCloud, then I can, it's, it's dopey that I can only open them in the app that created them. And, uh, it doesn't match my workflow since I use, I might use one app on the iPad for creating a text document, a different one on the Mac. And it's, it's silly to, to rely on iCloud for something like that, where it wouldn't, it doesn't support working that way. Right. And we, we still haven't seen even really a Dropbox style, you know, capability from iCloud at the moment in terms of files, Right. You know, you can with Dropbox, it's a folder on your Mac. You just go drop something into it and it syncs to every place else. On iCloud, there's not really a place that you can go on your Mac and say, oh, put this in iCloud and I can then use it on my other devices. Um, even though it's been sort of touted as having that documents in the cloud capability, it hasn't really delivered on that yet. So, right. well, well, I think part of it is that Apple's trying to sort of obscure the idea of files, files at all. Right. I mean, you you don't need to know what sort of files your iOS apps are using, and with Dropbox, obviously you do. You're you're using 
discrete files and, and you need to understand that concept. And with iCloud, you know, there's a calendar file somewhere that's being synced, but you don't ever need to know that such a file exists. Sure. You just know your calendars are working. And, but if you're and using something like Pages and you're writing, you know, something on your Mac or your, your iPad, then it still has to exist discreetly from all your other files that you're working on. No, no. I, and, I, and I think it's... I. I understand files, and I think I, I think you, more people. <laughs> I think more people than Apple gives credit uh, understand files. Yes, uh, but it's it seems clear what their what their sort of goal here is, or what their thinking is that you know they don't want people to have to know what files are. They just want sure. things to work. And if you could just say, "I'm opening Pages on whatever device. Here's my stuff," you wouldn't really have to know. Oh, that's in this, you know, Pages document dot uh, right. Pages whatever it is, uh, and and you know then it would be simpler i think you're right though that it hasn't delivered on that the idea is there but the the implementation is not you know dan you mentioned earlier that you don't think that we'll see a new iphone or ipad since we have relatively new ones of those at wwdc but i you know when i when you think about what wwc really is and i'm probably the least qualified person on this podcast to talk about that but you know Part of it is to to ensure that developers you know know about the technologies available to them, and the other part is to ensure that they're prepared for whatever changes and newness is coming, right? And so I'm, I, the, there are these rumors getting louder and louder about the next iPhone, whatever it's called, and whenever it arrives, having a larger screen. So one thing I've been thinking about is. If Apple is really going to end up requiring the developers, and I know there's plenty of debate about how a larger screen might work and how Apple would implement it, but if Apple is going to end up requiring the developers uh, tweak or modify or update their apps in some way so that they can support a larger display or at least can optionally support a larger display, wouldn't it make sense for Apple to, to lift their apps off some kind of new iPhone now, even if it's not available now? So that developers can get ready? Or does Apple say, you know what, we care more about the, the business side of things, so we don't want to eat into iPhone 4S sales at all right now, and we're just going to drop the surprise bomb on developers closer to the time? Oh, that's absolutely what they say. <laughs> Paul, you want to you back me up on that, I'm pretty sure? Yeah, I, I, I haven't heard anything from Apple. I won't, heard any, you know, won't hear anything from Apple until whatever it is gets released, and I wouldn't expect it till you know, later in the year when it, you know, right when it's getting ready to ship out to the different Apple stores or AT&T or Verizon or whatnot. They'll just, they'll just stretch, you know, they'll just stretch your app and make it bigger. It'll be like on the iPad when you just could double size your app. Just like that. Yeah. That'll work fine. Right guys. Well, it, it, it won't, but I mean, it certainly is a stopgap, and it sure. prevents Apple from needing to spill the beans before it's ready. Right. And you know, I mean, they they've announced the phones what usually about a month before they're actually for sale, so they're yeah. they're willing to cut into their own sales a little bit. Uh, but I think if it's if it's something where if we're still on a yearly schedule, that puts the next iPhone in the fall, right? Right. Uh, so that's a long October, time so. ahead to say, hey, we're coming out with a new phone in three months. Right. Let's let our sales tank until then. Right, and that seems unlikely to me. But but you did say you, you said that uh, we have schedules for the phone and for the iPad, and we certainly have had a consistent schedule for the iPad. But the phone previously was a WWDC device. This is true. Uh, yeah. Up until last year, right, and that was unusual. But having now lengthened that window, it seems either that their only options are to keep it the same or lengthen it further. I mean, they could go back to you nine think? months, but I, I just don't see it. I just don't see nine months being a you know, I think there's I think there's a window in which the expectation has been made like, oh, I'll buy a new phone. It'll be good for a year. Um, and, you know, 
part of that is that you can sort of work with the yearly, the double year contract in there. But I think there's a lot of people who nine months, if their phone is obsolete nine months later, they're going to just be, you know, super annoyed about what I just bought this phone. Customers are more confused than ever, right? I have people asking me constantly, when's the next iPhone coming out? Because they, you know, some people remember that they hear about them in June and the last one was October. And I, I think you're right, Dan, that it's, it wouldn't make sense to me. I'm going to, I'm going to take Team Morn on this one, Paul. It doesn't make sense to me for Apple to say we're going to release the new one just nine months later because I think, they'll, like he says, they're going to alienate a lot of people and people next time won't know, well, why buy the iPhone 10,000? Because I know just nine months from now the next one will come. And I think it sets the wrong expectation. Oh, I, I, I definitely disagree. I think, I think it's something where you and I and, and all of us on this podcast, maybe even a lot of the listeners feel that way, but... For the average person, I don't think that they're thinking, oh, th- this one came out you know, nine months instead of 12 months. I don't think that's really going to impact anyone's thinking uh, of the tens of millions of people buying iPhones. I think that's a, a very small group who are, who are worried about being on the cutting edge with it. I mean, you've got to remember that this is a device that your parents, your grandparents are using, and, and they're not necessarily worried about having the most current one. Uh, I think it's something where Apple absolutely could come out. I'm not saying they will, but I think they absolutely could come out in June and say, you know, there's going to be a new iPhone. It's coming out in July. And uh, here's what's new about it. Here's what's great about it. They'd get all the publicity out of it. And uh, I think I, I certainly think that that's possible and that uh, they wouldn't be worried about doing it too soon. But it's uh, I, I mean, certainly we'll see next month. Right. Well, after all, I mean, if they do announce an update to iOS, you know, it will be the first time i think that they will have updated you know announced an update to ios that doesn't come with a corresponding hardware announcement like a major milestone upgrade which is which is an interesting move to sort of divorce those two things well what did they didn't, do last didn't year? they do that last year yeah, yeah iOS was... five and then the phone <laughs> several months later my memory is incredibly short i have <laughs> do i have a new iphone yet does anyone know <laughs> you might I take yeah, it all back. I don't think they're gonna they're gonna announce the phone anytime until you know close to September. I think we would see more you know leaks out there. You know, people seeing new device numbers in logs or things like that, which seem to happen before every release. And I haven't seen any of that posted anywhere. So I don't think it's quite there yet. I don't think they've released it to more of their uh, you know internal developers to to get it tested and all that so I, i'm still i'm betting on september all right well so so we think maybe some some mountain lion some ios 6 maybe some mac hardware maybe a new iphone but probably not anything else you guys think i mean there's always the wild card right like is there anything is it time for the mythical Apple television to arrive? Yeah, Probably. I was I was just going to ask, where did that rumor go? That rumor was everywhere. Oh, it's for still two around. Weeks. I say as I as I troll the rumor sites every day, it's still there, but it's not as much as you know. People, the iPhones are known quantity. The Apple TV, I think, has still provided the the. I should clarify the Apple, Apple HD television. TV. Yes, right, right. Whatever you want to call it, is still. Jimmy. Nobody knows how it. Nobody knows how it would work, or nobody knows what it would look like, or nobody's quite has figured that out yet. So that's you know the, the that's one of those potential wild cards. But I'm not sure that it's something that is makes sense to introduce at a developer conference. Maybe. Well, but as we as we talked about that that first bit is really for the public as opposed to for the developers. So. Right. Sure. So uh, anything could happen. I guess is our. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we've I'm glad it. you've Figured listened to this podcast in which we've concluded <laughs> that we have no idea what is going on. Something well, may or may not be announced at some point in the future. I think that's a safe Maybe. one. That's a safe one. Um, well, do you guys have anything else to add before we uh, sign off here? I mean, the the big rumor today is the uh, iPhone being a little taller and the same width, which is uh, kind of interesting, uh, interesting concept and opens up a lot of questions there. I mean, um, you know, the, the big one being if it's a bit taller, but the same width, uh, are developers going to get access to that, you know, extra 176 pixels or is that going to be dedicated to some kind of control interface? Is it going to replace the home button? Uh, Right. Uh, I think that's a, a pretty interesting question. I, yeah. I, I thought it was, uh, I was telling Lex earlier, I think it was hard for me to picture, but I, I saw some you know suggestions of what it might look like and think, well, you know, I can see them wanting to go that direction in terms of, it seems more of the idea of making the display take up even more of the phone itself, right? And since so much of the interface is the display, that makes sense to a certain extent. That's the same reason, you know, that the iPad they did the similar thing, right? They took the, they made the, since you interact with the screen in both in terms of what you see on the screen and physically interact with the screen in terms of control interfaces, in some ways it makes sense to have a larger screen, but it is, it is a different set of challenges. So I think we're going to need to wait and see how that actually plays out. I, yeah. I don't think I need to, uh, I, I have no jealousy of the Samsung Galaxy Notes 5.3 inch screen. <laughs> Um, as long, you know, I, I like the idea of the taller iPhone screen and I'll be jealous of it if one comes out and I can't get it for another year or two. But uh, to me, the, the thing that I really like about the iPhone's current size, and I've never looked at my screen and thought, man, I wish this thing were bigger, um, is I can, um, you know, if I'm holding the phone in my left hand, my thumb can reach the top right corner. And I, I was trying to experiment with my phone today and see if the screen went up higher, could I still reach that top right corner if that's where the forward button was? And really, I just barely can, and it's painful, and I wouldn't recommend it unless you've done a lot of hand exercises first. <laughs> but um, I don't know. So I feel like Apple could pull it off, but uh, I don't know that it's actually better so much as it is bigger. I'm just floating that out there. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't presume to evaluate the goodness of a larger iPhone screen until I actually saw one and used it. But it's uh, it's a little bit. Uh, right now, I'm not convinced that it's actually better. Well. Again, we'll have to wait and see. Um, well, I think that, that just about wraps it up for us. I would like to thank my guests, Lex Friedman. It's been a pleasure as always, Dan. Rogamibus Paul Cafasis. I had an okay time. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. That's Could you uh, leave a comment card on your way out? Absolutely. Um, and Tapbot's Paul Haddad. It was a uh, new experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you just all. It's getting worse going down. <laughs> I'm Senior Editor Dan Morant, and thanks for listening.